Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. And as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a noble man went, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave ten minutes and he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered he, these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him. And he might know that they have been gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mena has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over ten citizens, cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mena has made five minas. And he said to him, You are to be over five cities. The other came, saying, Lord, here is your minna, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you do not deposit, and you reap what you do not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, uh, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the minas from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has not been, not even what he has will be taken away. But as for those enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Gavin, thank you. You know he's going to school where I went to school, right? So to pick up from where we left off two weeks ago, Jesus was walking into Jericho. He was surrounded by a crowd. There was a wee little man there by the name of Zacchaeus who wanted to see Jesus, but because of the crowd he could not. So we read in Luke 19, the Zacchaeus climbed a tree where the Savior saw him and then called him down from the tree. And we know that as Zacchaeus and Jesus, as they began to interact, the crowd was there. The crowd was still there. They were pressing in. And you know that day, as they watched Jesus and Zacchaeus, the crowd, they heard some, some radical type speech. Some revolutionary language. They, they were hearing words like salvation. And Jesus said salvation has come to this house. What does that mean? 
They heard words like, I have come to seek, I've come to, to save the lost. I mean, for Jesus, it was a missional declaration. The crowd heard it as a rallying cry, and so they began to buzz. And they began to, to stir with, with thoughts of a coming shift. A shift that was about to take place. Salvation coming to their home, salvation coming to their country, the overthrow of oppression, a new day, a new kingdom. Here at last, it was before their eyes they were thinking. But in our passage today, we're going to see Jesus end that thinking or attempt to end that thinking that the kingdom of God would now appear, that it had come. In our passage of scripture that Gavin just read, Jesus tells us not yet. He says the time is not now, but it is later. Now, he will return. We know from Luke 21, 27, Jesus says, You will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. You will see the Son of Man come. So he will Return. He will establish his kingdom. We can understand the time will come when he will overthrow his oppressor. But it was not that day in Jericho. And it's not been today yet. And so we can understand that therefore it is not today. But Jesus is saying don't lose focus. Recognize the work is not done. The time has not yet come. So, in other words, Jesus is saying, listen, between now, today, and later, this is how I want you to live. You be about my Father. You keep your eyes on me. And when the time comes, you'll see. For I'll be coming on a cloud. So listen, I want to encourage you today that though you and I were just like, like one of the crowd... You know, one of the, those people in the crowd that, that crowded around Jesus and Zacchaeus, you know, watching that exchange. Though you are just one in the crowd, just, just one in the great throng of creation, you know, one person in the whole world. I mean, think about how big the world is. And here I am, I'm just one, one little one in it. You know, I'm so small, I'm just a florist, you know. I wish I was more. I mean, a lot of times, man, I'm laying in my bed and I'm wishing that I was a game changer. That'd be cool. You know, I want to be a game changer, we think. But, but you know, I'm just, I'm just a florist. I'm just one of the crowd. But listen, though you're just one of the crowd that presses around him today, I want you to know that the king sees your worth. The king of creation sees your worth, and I want you to know that it is his desire that you be at work For him in his kingdom. He has willed that you are valuable. Listen, he has willed that you are capable in him. Though we're one of the crowd, we're suited to do good because of what he's given us. So, what has God given us then? That would be the big question. As I read our passage in Luke 19, I read the story here, the parable that Jesus told and I really struggled with the right word to use. You know, what's the, the best word here for us? To fully describe what Jesus, what God has given us. That, you know, that noble man that we read about, Jesus, what he's given to us as his servants. How, how could I communicate in one word what God has given to us? So my first brilliant thought 
My first brilliant thought was, well, I should say, you know, we've been given a gift. You know, that's what I should say. We've been given a gift. But, but I didn't like that. Because I thought about the word gift, you know, I thought a, a gift is so easily dumped, isn't it? You know, a gift, it can, it can so easily um, be exchanged. You can just go down to Kohl's and, and you can get a different color of, of sweater. You can return it to Amazon, you know, a lot of times uh, for free. So you can re-gift a gift. You know, you can give it to someone else. So I didn't like the dispensability of the word gift. So I didn't want to say, well, I've been given a gift. So my second brilliant thought, because I was on a roll that day, my second brilliant thought was to use the word opportunity. And I was like, we should use the word opportunity. Ultimately, what, what is the master given to us? You know, I've been given an opportunity. But you know, even opportunity, it seems so optional to me. You know, like, like I've been given a chance. You know, if I should use it, you know, then, it, then it's there. My concern was that, that gift and opportunity, that they don't communicate the necessity or the particularity of what we've been given. Okay, what, this, what the noble man has given to the servant. Because, you know, in our parable, there, there's a directive here. There's a command that transcends gift that goes beyond opportunity. So, you know, I thought about, okay, this will be it. You know, third try. This is going to be, I'm going to use the word task. You know, I've been given a task by my king. But daggone, I didn't like that either. When I think of task, you know, I think of a task master. I think about somebody who's standing over me with a whip or a belt or a cane. A task, it can be a burden or a chore. It's laborious. And so I couldn't go with task because I guess just kept thinking about Jesus and his words, you know, where he says, for my yoke, listen, it is easy to bear. The burden I give you is light. And so stream what you and I have been given to us by the creator. We need to understand today it is not a burden. It's not a task. You know, I thought about Hudson Taylor and, you know, Hudson at the age of 21, he got on a boat. And he sailed to China. And at that time, there were only a few dozen missionaries in all of China. And so it was uh, really um, a mission field. The work was great. You know, sometimes uh, in his medical practice, Taylor would see over 200 patients a day there in his practice. At the same time, he was working to translate the Bible into Chinese. He was a tireless Recruiter of missionaries, he founded the China Inland Mission. He inspired thousands of people ultimately to forsake the comforts of the West and to serve Christ in China. But the work was great. The work was great and it came at a cost. He was constantly ill. He was frequently depressed. His wife died at age 33. He lost four of his eight children before the age of 10. At the age of 68, he had a complete mental and physical breakdown. The work was great. There was a great cost. But do you know what Hudson Taylor said about his service? (laughs) He said, I never made a sacrifice. What? He said, I never made a sacrifice. Why would he say such a thing? 
So much was given. So much was lost. Why would he say, I've, I've never made a sacrifice? Because listen, it is service to the noble king. It's service to the creator. Understand that this is beyond an apprenticeship to the mayor. This is beyond a term with the governor. This is beyond the president's cabinet. It's beyond Beyonce and LeBron. Okay? Perceive today that it is the father of light. It's the author of salvation. The one who wills me to do good. Who wills within me peace. Who wills within me joy. When can I go, it says, and meet with this God? It is not a burden on my heart. It's not a task. What did the noble man give? If not gift or opportunity... If not task or burden, then what? What did he give? Well, I decided if all else fails, use the scripture. You know, that's a good, good, uh, good rule of thumb. So I've been given what the noble man gave to his servant. Now, specifically, what the noble man gave. Now, I need to pause here. I need to pause because, you know, two weeks ago it was lovingly. You know, brought to my attention that I was pronouncing uh, Zacchaeus as Zacchaeus. And, you know, I asked about a half a dozen of you about this. And it seems that, yeah, every single person in the congregation noticed it except for me. <laughs> that I was saying Zacchaeus instead of Zacchaeus. Now, I don't know, you know, all I know is I've sang that song since I was three years old. And Zacchaeus, you know, is how I said it. I told my mom last week, I was like, Mom, I said Zacchaeus. Everybody thought I was supposed to say Zacchaeus. You know what she said? She said, well, I taught you to say Zacchaeus. That's how I say it, too. So that's why, you know, my mom uh, called it Zacchaeus. So that's why I say it uh, like that. But anyway, you know, the thought that, you know, oh, you know, pronunciation, that that would in any way... You know, distract you, or if even for a moment, you know, take your eyes off of what I was trying to communicate. You know, that would be grievous. You know, honestly, that would be grievous to me. So I thought, this week, I'm going to get it right. So, what, what is this? How do you pronounce what the noble man gave to his servants in Luke 19? In the English, some people pronounce it as mina, okay? Others will pronounce it as Mina. And after last week's enunciative debacle with the very central name of the character, I'm like, I'm not going to let that happen again, so we're going to the Greek. Okay? That's, that's the, the end all here. So, forget the English pronunciations. Today, we're going to use the Greek. The Greek word, I looked it up, it's spelled with three Greek letters, the mu, the nu, and the alpha. You put that together, you can come up with a confident pronunciation of mana. Okay? So, we're going to use mana today when we're talking about what the noble man gave to his servants. And I thought, too, you know, that would be... It'd be easy to remember mana because... You know, there was a song about Zacchaeus, and there's also, you know, that song about Manah, which we all know. And so, you guys know the Manah song, right? Jennifer, you better just enlighten everybody. Make sure Manah, Manah. 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 Manah,
Manah. Easy for you to remember. And so what that means then is this, that I have been given a manah. In Luke 19, the noble man gave to each of his ten servants a manah. And in the same way, you and I have been given a manah. And so what that means specifically then is that the king has identified you. He has chosen you. He has strategically invested within you a manah. A manah that the nobleman told his servants in verse 13 to put to work until I come back. So God has seen you. You know, you in that crowd who's pressing around Jesus. He's seen you, O lowest of florists. Know that God has seen you today. Know that God has given you an ability. He has given you a resource. He has given you a talent. Do you know what manah he has invested in you? In 1 Corinthians 12, it says there are different kinds of gifts, but they are all from the same spirit. There are different ways to serve, but the same Lord to serve. And there are different ways that God works through people, but the same God. God works in all of us, in everything we do. So know today that no matter how mundane or how dry your life may seem to be, know that God has given you a mana. It's a mana with which to serve. You may wonder, you know, well, what is my mana? Well, I would ask you, what are you good at? What are you good at? What do you care about? You know, what do you think about? What do you see when you look at things? And when you look at other people? Know that God works through us in different ways. It can be the, the flower of a florist, the word of a writer. Be the dough of a baker. Be the bill of a business man. It can be the stroke of an artist or the deal of a salesman. The leap of the athlete or the thought of the sage. It could be the faith of the father, the care of the mother, the love of the child, the strength of a friend. It could be the courage of a survivor. God works in different ways through his people. And know today that God has given you a mana, and he's telling you, put it to work. Put it to work. In Luke 19, you know, we're not told about what happened to all ten of the servants who were given a mana, because each of the ten servants was given one mana. But we're told about three, what happened to three of those servants. The first servant, we're told, he took the mana that he had been given by his master, and he earned ten more. A second servant, from his manah, he gained five, and a third took his and lay it away in a cloth. The first, two mas- the first two servants, the master applauded, well done. He said, I will now give you more because you've been trustworthy. But to the third servant, the master decried wicked. He said, take his manah from him. Now, there are really two main ideas that we'll take from this parable today. The first is that between now, okay, this moment 
that I've been given between now and later, the day when Christ returns on the cloud, the first idea for us to process is that I have been given a manah. The second idea, or the continuation of the first idea, is that the manah I have been given, it's been given to me to use or to lose. Okay, that's the, the second thought. I have been given a manah to use or lose. Let's look at using it. The first two servants chose to use their manah. The master said, well done. When I think about it, when it comes to the end for me, whenever that may be, I think there are two things that I would would love to hear. I would not expect to hear it or feel that I deserve to hear it or really even, you know, dare to hope that I would hear it. But the first thing that I think would be great if I heard it at the end was he was a good dad. You know, he was a good dad. He was was a good husband. I mean, if, you know, if they, if somebody said that, that'll work, you know. That's the first thing. But you know, the second is this, to hear well done. You know, both of those things. You know, I mean, if, if I could take every uh, accolade and every note and every certification and award and, and designation, and if I could exchange them for, for just those two words, well done... Because listen, you know, when I think about this world, you know, guys, I, it's like, you know, in our culture, we have this hunger, you know, for affirmation. We have this, this hunger that we want to be recognized by the world. You know, but do you know what an honorable mention in the world is worth? You know what it's worth? I mean, the craving for that kind of attention, the longing for that kind of of mention and, and recognition. What it's like, it's like, you know, go into your kitchen and, and get in your cupboard and take a handful of flour and walk outside on a windy day and cast that handful of flour up in the air. Whoosh! You know, it's gone. You know, that's what a worldly mention is worth, guys. You know, so quickly it disappears. You know, that we, that we would long, that our, that our highest height, that our chief aim would be to hear those words, well done, that you and I, that we would set our eyes on that, and that we would see, that we would truly believe that in our heart today, that we would know that it's true, that the applause of the world, okay, listen, the applause of the world, it's nothing more than the flutter of the locust wing. That's the applause of the world. Nothing more than the flutter of the locust wing. So seek it not. You know, use your manah, the master says. Hear well done. Gain more, he said. He said, because I'll give you more. To the first servant, he said, I'll put you in charge of ten cities. To the second servant, he said, I'll put you in charge of five. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. More will be offered to you. Do you know what's, what's better 
than having God in your life? You're like, whoa, I mean, that's supposed to be as good as a gift. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, the one thing better than having God in your life, having more of God in your life. That's the only thing better than having God, is having more of Him. Having more of Him. To everyone who has more will we be given that we would long for more of the things of God today. That we would long to see His work, that we would have a greater longing to take part in it. That we'd be like the prophet Elijah. You remember when he ran behind his master Elijah? Because he was going to be taken up to heaven and Elijah told him, no, you know, get behind me. Leave me alone. Return home. I don't need you. But he wouldn't leave him. Why? Because he wanted more of his power. You know, he wanted more of his spirit. He wanted more of his influence and his ability to do good. So Elijah wouldn't leave him. So recognize, I have been given a manah to use. It's a manah to develop. It's a manah to grow. To grow it not, we see in our parable, it is a monstrous offense to not grow your manah. It's a monstrous offense. You see, when it comes to your manah, <clears throat> if you don't use it, you lose it. The third servant in our parable, he made the decision not to invest it, not to put it to work, not to use it, but he chose instead to hide it away. May our hearts shudder to think this morning of of all of the treasures and all of the talents and, and all of the gifts that have been hidden away in the church. There are a lot of them. You know, I, I've preached at a lot of older churches in my day. Have you ever seen an old church attic? Have you ever walked up those rickety stairs in the dim light where no one else goes? Old church attics are typically a sight to behold. You know, usually they're filled rows and stacks and shelves and piles and dust and spiders and snake skins. And sometimes there's even a bat in the church attic. And if you can imagine that, if you can imagine that, that old church attic, can you imagine how many servants, can you imagine how many Christians have taken their manah and they've walked up those old rickety stairs in the dim light and they've placed their manah on the shelf? Can you imagine that today? You know, they've buried it in the mattress. They've cut it off from the light. They've cut it off from life. What a waste such an act to bury your manah. Listen, it is a corruption of God's purpose. It's contorting what He desires to do. It is a terrible loss. A loss that is triggered by fear. It's a loss that is triggered by blame. It's a loss that is triggered by disobedience. When we hide our manah, those things will lead to your loss. And why don't we look at those three real quickly, the fear and the blame and the disobedience. You know, we see the fear in verse 21 of our parable when the third servant said to the master, he said, I was afraid of you. 
You know, how often have we heard that? How often and how long has fear kept man from God? Kept him from more of God? You know, of course, we right away think about uh, Adam in the garden. You know, and God called him, you know, Adam, where are you, Adam? But what did Adam say? He said, I, I was afraid. He said, I heard your voice, but I was afraid, so I hid. You know, I wonder, how often has God called you? How often has He asked you to step out and to use what you have been given, but instead you hid? How often have you hid? But how often has He tugged on your heart and and you knew it was Him? You know, you could hear Him. You felt Him. You knew that it was Jesus asking you to step out, but you gave in to the fear. You were afraid. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man that lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Listen, your fear, know today, your fear, it will lead to loss, your loss, in the work of God. My fear leads to my loss in God. The third servant, he showed that fear, and he not only feared, but he also blamed. After the servant says, I was afraid of you, in verse 21, then what's he say? You know, he continues on by saying, you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in. You, you reap what you did not sow. What's he saying? He said, you are hard. You take out. It's you, noble man. It's, it's you, king. And again, like Adam, right? In the garden, the woman that you gave me, God, you're the reason for the failure. You're why. I think about the Israelites in the wilderness and how they complain and they complain, you know, why is the Lord taking us into this country? You know, why is He going to allow us to be destroyed in battle? The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? And He said, how long will they not believe what I told them? Moses had to plead with God to not destroy them all. No, that blame leads to loss. Blame leads to loss. Now, some of us here, you know, some of us have had it rough. Things have happened that shouldn't have happened. There were things that that just plain they weren't fair. It didn't make sense. I mean, over the last 20 years, you know, I could tell you horror stories of lives. Okay, individuals that, that were entirely wrecked by the circumstances that were around them. And I encouraged them, ask God why. Ask Him why. Cry to Him more and scream if you have to. Ask God why. But don't blame God. Okay, you ask Him why. But don't blame God. Don't Accuse he who is perfect love. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, God is in heaven, you are on earth. Let your words be few. 
Romans 9.20, Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, Why have you made me like this? Blaming God, all that does is incite wrath. Okay? Blaming God incites his wrath. We see it in Luke 19.22. The master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. So we see that the third servant feared. It led to his loss. The third servant he blamed. And it led to his loss. Thirdly, he disobeyed. He disobeyed. In verse 22, the master scolded the servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put your money, my money on deposit so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? So the servant, he was told to put the money to work, but he disobeyed and did not. Okay, So when you and I disobey, we lose ground with God. And we can understand that there is nothing that will squelch the Christian's life like sin. Nothing will squelch my life like sin. Disobedience. If you want to live with God today, you know, if, if you've had a, had a longing in your heart, you know, that you're tired of the vanity of life, you're tired of the void of life, you want to see Him, you want to experience Him, if that's what you want today, rebellion's not the way to go. Right? Our command is to take our manah and it is to put it to work, to bury it, to hide it, is to disobey. What's the old song say? Hide it under a bushel. No! No! But the servant did. The servant did, and so the master in verse 24 said, Take his manah from him. Take it from him and give him to the one who has ten. Then in verse 26, is for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. So he says, even what he has will be taken away. His manah has been taken. So I mean, what else, you know, what else is there left to take from this servant? Well, listen, we need to understand that, that when you and I, you know, let's say we're, we're here with God, okay? But understand that when we step away from God, I'm stepping into what? I'm stepping into more of me. Okay, so back here, I'm here, you know, living with God, but I made the decision, you know, I'm going to fear, I'm going to blame, I'm going to disobey, so I'm going to step away from God. And as I step away from God, I'm stepping into more of me. And know that more of me, know that self, what does self do? Listen, self destroys. Self is insatiable. Self is always hungry. Self is always eating. Self will destroy you. Self will take your life. It's never filled. Understand today that that it's not overstating that when you and I, when we walk away from God, when we lose all that He's given, the protection that He's offered, when we walk away from His purpose, I mean, understand, again, you were chosen from the crowd. You're just a florist. (laughs) 
You're just a florist, but God saw you and He said, man, I want to use you in my kingdom. I I want you to have life and to have it full. We've been chosen from the crowd. We've been given them a naughty use to build with and to dream with and to heal with. To lose it is to lose life. It's not just to miss out. You know, you're losing life. You're being consumed from the inside. How, how, how silly or piddly you may think you are today. <laughs> you think you're silly or piddly sometimes, you know. I'm just silly and piddly. Listen, Jesus sees you. He sees you like he saw Zacchaeus that day. And he's left the planet Earth to come to you and have you share his love. You know, will you share his love today? Matthew 5 says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Are you displaying your light today? Are you investing your manah? Are you growing your manah for the kingdom. I wanted to ask uh, Karen to come and share with us uh, this morning. Of course, you know she's a dear part of our church, and um, you know she's. You can come on up. She's shared with me recently how she's been stepping out, um, and she's been using what God has given her. And so I asked her just to come and share with us a little bit, just to see, like, hey, what's that look like when I step out? Okay. I'm Karen. I'm Karen Goose. For those of you who've known me as Karen Zwick, I've legally returned to my maiden name. I want to encourage you to just say yes. I know that many of you have said yes to Jesus. You've asked him to forgive your sins and to be your Lord and Savior. And therefore, you're a member of the body of Christ. Using your talents is how you become the hands and feet of Jesus. I encourage you to just say yes to serving the Lord with your time, your gifts, and talents. There are so many ways to serve within living streams and in ministries outside of our church. For me, some of my opportunities to serve have included playing keyboards and singing on the worship team here at Living Streams, and I also do that with Emmaus walks and chrysalis flights. I run PowerPoint slides from the back of the church. I've helped in the past plan for women's retreats. I've held and loved on babies in the nursery because my babies are 33 and 30. Um, <laughs> preparing and serving uh, and bringing meals to church members, sorting clothes for our Jubilee sale, painting and hauling trash during our several church renovations, praying for persons recovering from alcohol and drug addiction at Harbor Lights, and serving on jail ministry teams. If you're hesitant to just say yes, let me encourage you to reconsider. If you hesitate out of insecurity or feelings that I'm not good enough or talented enough, I promise you that if you serve out of love and obedience to God, 
God will give you what you need for the task at hand. I've also experienced the miracle of always feeling so blessed in my serving, especially when and where I'm serving outside my comfort zone. How is it that the more I give and the harder the task is, the more God fills up my heart and the closer I feel to Jesus? I've been through a very difficult season the past two years as I've worked through the grief and recovery from a failed 36-year marriage. But every time I served, God helped me get out of my head and my depression and focus on others. Serving was the greatest contribution to my healing. The opportunities to serve are limitless and never-ending. Please just say yes. Thank you, Karen, for coming up. Thank you. So are you using your mana? The mana that you have been given to either use or to lose. I want us to think once more about the third servant because I think there's something else there that we need to check. Let's look at that third servant who chose not to use what he had been given and lost his manah. Do you know why the servant lost it? And you're like, well, Shane, you already talked about that. You know, fear, you know, uh, blame, disobedience. You know, we don't want to do that. That's why, why he lost it. No, there, there's something beyond that. You know, what's behind the fear and the blame and the disobedience? Why did the third servant fear? You know, why did he disobey? Why did he blame? You know why? Because he did not know his king. That's why. That's why he feared and blamed and disobeyed. He did not know his king. We said in our parable that the noble man, the master, you know, that's Jesus. When the third servant said to the master, you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in. You reap what you did not sow. Was that true? Was that accusation right? I mean, does that sound like Jesus? No. That's not Jesus. The servant was skewed. He said, you reap what you did not sow, but the master sowed the manna. Who put it in him? Who gave it to him? It was the noble man. The noble man sowed the manah. Jesus put it in you. Jesus invested in you. Jesus began the work and Jesus is the one who will finish it. The servant didn't know his king. He didn't know him. He said, you didn't sow. All you do is reap. He didn't know who Jesus was. So listen, if you want to know how to use your manah, if you want the blessing of God rather than the wrath of God on your life today, then know your King. Know who He is. Know His name. 
Francois Fenelon, an archbishop in the 17th century, he said, what men stand most in need of today is the knowledge of God. He said, what men stand most in need of today is the knowledge of God. Know your king. Okay, know your king, for when you are in step with the king, you're in step with the spirit. When you're in step with the spirit, then you're led to the truth. When you know the truth, you know your king. You're in step with him. You're moving with him. Romans 8, for all who are led by the spirit of God, they are children of God. Know your king today. Know his love. Know his passion and his desire to use you today. Get in the ring with him. If you'd bow your heads with me, we'll be still here. Uh, Jesus, specifically, I'm reminded today... um, You are not a taskmaster, and you're not hard, uh, you're not unfair, um, you're not self. Um, Jesus, you're the opposite of all those things. You're the great lover, the great giver. You poured out your life for me, and I praise you for that today. I praise you for giving yourself up. I praise you for investing in me who did not deserve it. Who had nothing good to bring. So Father, we would just pray for forgiveness. Forgive me for the times that I've stepped away from you and stepped into self. Forgive me for the times, you know, I've, I've hid my light. Um, I've buried my mana. And I've feared. You know, so often I've feared, so frequently disobeyed. I'm so grateful for your love and for your forgiveness. I just pray for each individual that's here. If you need to come to God today, I want you to come to Him. Can you bow in your heart today and just say, Jesus, I'm coming to you. I need you, Jesus. I'm stepping away from you. I'm stepping into self. I need you, Jesus. I'm filled with fear. I'm filled with blame. I'm filled with sin today. I need you, Jesus. And noble king, I would just pray for each one that's crying out for their need. In their need. In your mercy, come. Rescue them. Come and fill them. Come and heal them and help them today. Father, that you would fill them up with your wisdom, your truth, your knowledge, knowledge of your will, knowledge of the right way, the straight way. That we'd walk in you today. 
Father, we thank you for your word. Whatever you had to speak to us today, um, Spirit, just stamp it in our heart, we would ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.